We had read, remember how we had read um, Henry David Thoreau, his life, and then we read Walden. And we were trying to find the root of American transcendentalism. So we were looking at uh, Mary Moody Emerson. And what if, if she was the source of American transcendentalism? Mary Moody Emerson, August 23rd, 1774, May 1, 1863, was an American letter writer and diarist. She was known not only as her she was known not only as her nephew Ralph Waldo Emerson's earliest and best teacher, but also as a spirited and original genius in her own right. Ralph Waldo Emerson considered her presence in his life a blessing which nothing else in education could supply, and her vast body of writing, her thousands of letters and journal entries spanning more than 50 years, became one of Emerson's most important books. Hmm. Really? Most important what? Books. Books? Her vast body of writing, her thousands of letters and journal entries spanning more than 50 years, became one of Emerson's most important books. Uh -huh. That's what it says. According to her surviving documents reveal the voice. Her surviving documents reveal the voice of a woman who had something to say to her contemporaries and who can continue to speak to ours about the great truths that were the object of her life's pilgrimage. Hmm. Interesting, huh? That was all from Wikipedia. I haven't even started this book. We have a book here called Mary Moody Emerson and the Origins of Transcendentalism, A Family History by Phyllis Cole. It says here, biography, early life, born in Concord in 1774, Mary Moody Emerson was the fourth child of Phoebe Bliss and the Reverend William Emerson, both the Emerson and the Bliss family. Do you know I'm related to a Bliss? Does this make me related to Mary Moody Emerson? <laughs> Could be with the Blisses in there. If you dig far enough in genealogy, you can become related to almost anybody. Forewares came to Massachusetts in the first generation of Puritan settlers in the 1630s in both families' histories, deeply involved religious ministry ever since Mary's great-great-grandfather, Joseph Emerson, settled in Concord. At least one of son in each succeeding generation was ordained a minister of the church included in this de ministerial dynasty was Mary's great uncle, Joseph, Joseph Moody, who appeared before his congregation with a handkerchief covering his face. Dear, he was way ahead of us in covering his with face. Handkerchief covering his face, the inspiration for the protagonist. And Nathaniel Hawthorne's story, The Minister's Black Veil. Should we read The Minister's Black Veil by Nathaniel Hawthorne? Then we could put it posted and put on a mask. Many of the Emerson's men attended Harvard, and the family was generally respected and genteel, though not wealthy and girly. Involved in the New England Calvinist milieu. 
Do you think that in a way I'm in a Calvinist Malu? Millier. Millier? Millier? How do you say it? Millier. Millier. M-I-L-I-E-U? Millier. We're reading about my Calvinist Malu. In the 1976, after suffering the loss of her father to army fever, two-year-old Mary was sent out of Concord to live in Melton, Massachusetts, with a grandmother who was in poor health, and her Aunt Ruth, who was suffering from insanity. This marked the beginning of what Mary Emerson later called the time of chaos and deprivation, separated from her mother and her siblings, reared with little social interaction. She was socially... Uh, Distant. And meager formal education, she wrote that her life... <laughs> she had a mask, and she was socially distant. Life in Malden was a slavery, was a, quote, slavery of poverty and ignorance and long orphan orphanship and lonesome solitude. Well, it seems she got solitude long before Henry David Thoreau... <laughs> The family was so impoverished that they very often subsisted on bread and water diet and would send the young Mary to keep watch for the debt-collecting sheriff. Oh, God. Poor girl. Mary's journal entry suggests that living in... What? 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 The debt-collecting? There's a debt-collecting sheriff, dare you. Watch for him when he's coming. Mary's journal entry suggests that living in calamitous poverty and isolation as a youth profoundly affected her entire life. She wrote many years later, Oh, I could give facts of the long-drawn years of imprisoned minds and hearts with uneducated orphans endured. Poor girl. See how the suffering, she rose out of suffering and poverty to become a mind, great mind of... As they say... From one hmm. way down, he can only go one way up. Education, as Emerson revealed in an 1869 lecture dedicated to his aunt. See, that's an interesting lecture. Mm -hmm. Starting in her youth, Mary Emerson developed an ethnic ethic of individualism and found meaning in labor and self-education. Self-education. She explained in a journal entry, I am so small in my expectations that a week of industry delights rose before light every morn. She rose before light every morning, visited with necessity once and again for books. Read Butler's analogy, commented on the scriptures, read in a little book. How did book. you learn to read that? At two, she was a boy already. Cicero's letters, dear. She's a... God, she read Cicero. How old is she? Huh. I don't know. Cicero's letter, if you touch Shakespeare, washed, caught, carded, cleaned, house, and baked. My God. Not only did she read, but she washed, carded, cleaned, house, and baked. Today cannot recall an error, nor scarcely a sacrifice, but more fullness of content in the labors of a day never was felt. The kind of people who never seemed to rest, she spun with a greater velocity than any of the other tops. <laughs> she spun with a greater velocity than any of the other tops, which would tear into the chase and out of it, into the house and out, or out of it, into the conversation, into the thought, into the character of the stranger. She spun 
were reading about how she spun with a greater velocity. She was a major spinning top. <laughs> than any of the uh, than any of the other tops. Mm-hmm. How do you spell spun? Uh, S-P-U-N, spun. That's a quotation from Emerson's lecture. Emerson said it. Quote Emerson. Is Emerson an authority? (laughs) Though burdened with innumerable daily chores, including the care of an infant grandmother and an insane aunt. Do we have an insane aunt? Mary Emerson found time to read voraciously. Her early reading included the Bible, the English poets Milton, Young, and a few others, and the religious writers Samuel Clark and Jonathan Edwards. As a young woman, she would read Plato, Plotinus, Marcus Aurelius, Shakespeare, Coleridge, Wordsworth, Cousin, Locke, Mem de Stahl, who's that? Madame de Stella, Stella, Channing, Byron, Spinoza, Rousseau, Eichhorn, Goethe, among the numerous others. Her education through books and lectures, correspondence, sermons, and conversation was completely self-directed in an insatiable roaming after metaphysics and Illuminati. She had an insatiable roaming after metaphysics and Illuminati, according to her nephew Charles. Deny the Harvard education available to her brother and other male relatives, both past and present. Mary Emerson made the seeking of personal truth and knowledge a central concern in her life. Ralph Waldo Emerson later stated that she, like he, was of the, quote, sect of the seekers, unquote. He did not mention his aunt's inherent educational disadvantages. Unlike the formerly educated male Emerson's, Mary sought knowledge. As she wrote in her journal, quote, without any of the bridges, unquote. Uh-huh. Adult life, Mary Emerson, Mary Moody Emerson lived in Malden until 1791 when she moved to her sister Hannah's house in Newburyport to help care for the family's ten children. She felt optimistic at this point in her life and declared that leaving her situation in Malden was an awful moment with which to divided the polluted past from the spotless and tremendous future. After Newburyport, the 17-year-old Mary began a sort of occupation as an on-call nanny and nurse for various relatives, which was to provide her room and board and keep her busy and moving around New England for many years. In his 1869 lecture, Emerson praised his aunt's, quote, goodwill to serve in time of sickness or of pressure. But one of his aunt's journal entries conveyed a sense of weariness with her role as a constant caregiver, quote, Oh, how quietly did I use in early years to pass from mother to aunt, from sister to sister, for all was without mentality, or to keep souls or bodies together. Although Mary Moody Emerson had thus, quote, given her youth to old people and her median to children, 
Her lifestyle seemed a conscious and deliberate choice. She was offered a one proposal of marriage, but rebuffed it, writing, quote, Henceforth the picture, all image, shall be girded loins of bright lamp, fervent devotion. She wrote that she, quote, never expected connections and matrimony, and quote, claiming, quote, I scarcely feel the sympathies of this life enough to agitate the pool, and quote, doubting the advantage of marriage in a woman's life. Mary eschewed her expected role as wife and mother, instead choosing, quote, reading, writing, and conversing as her vocations. Uh-huh. She married books, dear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Could you marry books? No, we don't. In 1809, Mary Emerson invested her modest inheritance from her Aunt Ruth, who died in 1808 in a 150-acre farm close to the White Mountains near... Waterford, Maine, which she called Elmvale, a rustic secluded farmhouse surrounded by lake streams and noble forest. Elmvale would become Mary Emerson's sanctuary. Here, as her friend Elizabeth Hoare remarked, Mary, quote, wrote and read and enjoyed poetic and spiritual raptures in comparative seclusion. Though she owned the farm along with her sister Rebecca and the brother-in-law Robert Haskins for almost 40 years, financial issues demanded that she live there only sporadically. Mortgage obligations, disputes over the property, and her own intermittent desire for new stimulation prompted Mary to spend long periods from months to years visiting, boarding, and caring as ca- working as caregiver elsewhere. Although she seemed to enjoy the intellectual and physical stimulation of traveling and proclaiming, Quote, I had rather live a wandering life and die a beggar than drag down to active littleness. Mary Emerson missed her farm, went away, and often wrote, wrote off enough pitifully, saying goodbye when departing. <sighs> Seems we're reading from uh, Wikipedia instead of the book. <laughs> Mary Emerson and Ralph, young Ralph Waldo Emerson in 1811 when Waldo, Waldo, this is Ralph Waldo Emerson. When Waldo was eight years old, Mary Moody Emerson's older brother, the Reverend William Emerson, died, and again she assisted her family in a time of need. She left Elmvale and moved to Concord to live with William's widow Ruth, helping care for Ruth's six young children and working to support the boarding house that became an important source of family income. Here Mary and her nephews developed close bonds. Her one niece, Mary Caroline, lived only three years. William, Ralph, Waldo, Edward, Robert, who was mentally retarded, and especially the youngest boy, Charles, came to consider their Aunt Mary a surrogate father. Since she helped generate income, took charge of the spiritual as well as the intellectual education, and pushed them to excel. Ralph Waldo Emerson expressed that his aunt, quote, gave high counsels, and that it, quote, was the privilege of certain boys to have this immeasurably high standard indicated to their childhood, a blessing which nothing else in education could supply. And Ruth Emerson wrote, quote, I do not think her place could be supplied to these fatherless children by anyone on earth, unquote. 
Mary Emerson lived with the brother's family periodically for seven years and would play a significant role in the lives of her nephews her entire life. She instilled in them her habit of daily journal writing, continual reading for self-education. She encouraged them to read poetry, delight in nature, and take risk, commanding, quote, Sicorn trifles, lift your aims, do what you are afraid to do. Unquote. Ultimately, however, she seemed to grow weary of the domestic sphere, feeling that the endless, tiresome work, quote, defeated a purpose of knowledge. She wrote, quote, another day is done, unquote, of activity so intense that every nerve throbs, yet the gloom of these little painful labors could not be shook off. Though the boys, quote, pulled at Mary's genuine affection, unquote, by 1817, the 43-year-old Mary felt that it was time for her to leave and return to Elmvale. She did all that and she was still 43, eh? Amazing mm. how much she accomplished. Religion. Mary, Mary Moody Emerson considered She's herself... She considered herself a lifelong orphan and adopted faith as a surrogate paragon, writing degrees, predestination place, purpose for whatever name I love thee, the faith has been my father-mother prized house. She was reared by family members who believed in the, quote, the new light or neo-Calvinistic tenets propagated by Jonathan Edwards during the 19th century Great Awakening. That's interesting. They had this whole thing in New England, the Great Awakening, with the new light from the neo-Calvinist with Jonathan Edwards. We had to read Jonathan Edwards once in... High school English class or something. Familiar with the sermons of her new light forebears, Reverend Samuel Moody and Reverend Joseph Emerson, young Mary accepted as her grandfather Joseph preached, quote, that there is a heaven of unconceivable glory above and a hell of unutterable torment below. Instead of terrifying her, however, Mary Emerson's ancestral religion provided her comfort and hope. Growing up destitute and separated from her immediate family, isolated from sight, she embraced her misery as the will of God. She valued her own despair because it assured her of the existence of God. Hers was the paradoxical spirit of Calvinism that found in the darkest despair the presumption of holiness that embraced rejection and turned it into identification with the eternity. She rose, she wrote, quote, I rose, I felt I had given to God more perhaps than an angel could, had promised him in youth that to be a blot in this fair world at his command would be acceptable. Constantly offer myself to continue to obscurest and loneliest thing ever heard of with one provisio, his agency. Yes, love thee in all thou dust while thou sheddest frost and darkness on every path of mine. Mary Moody's faith, however, eventually resisted strict classification as Calvinist. Her nephew Charles understood the complex nature of her beliefs and wrote that her aunt, his aunt, was, quote, no statute book of practical commandments nor orderly digest of any system of philosophy, divine or human, but a, bi but a Bible, mis miscellaneous in its part, but one in its spirit, she called herself a, quote, Bible theist and practiced enthusiastic piety. Mm -hmm. 
She's an enthusiastic piety. She stated, quote, How futile are creeds of faith and formulas of worship. The infinite stirs within, surrounds, absorbs. Hmm. Do you believe in an enthusiastic piety? She embraced her suffering as a means of attaining, quote, the glorious prize of immortal glory, writing, quote, I should be willing to have limbs rot and senses dug out if I could perceive more of God. Because both her reading and social circle were often theologically liberal, Mary Emerson eventually developed a faith that combined orthodoxy with the more rational and ev evangelical tendencies alive in her day, claiming that she danced to the music of her own imagination. She ultimately would accept neither Calvinism nor Unitarianism as her religion. For her, Calvinism proved too coarse and damnatory, while Unitarianism seemed too timid and easy. You think Unitarianism is timid and easy? And Calvinism is too coarse and damnatory. Furthermore, Unitarianism, the chosen faith of both her brother William Emerson and her son, his son, Ralph Waldo, lacked the rapture. It lacked rapture and fury depths necessary for a sublimely personal relationship with God. Hmm. Do you think Mary Emerson had a sublimely personal relationship with God? She's a mystic, I think. Huh. Well, I, I think she has her own experiences in a way. See, the, the whole point of the theory is that she's enlightened and she enlightened Ralph Waldo. <laughs> Mary Waldo Moody Emerson often found herself at odds with both her brother William and then Waldo about their religious philosophies, even Waldo. Despite the differences in beliefs, she encouraged her nephew to carry on the proud Emerson ministerial line, which he did by accepting a pulpit at Boston Second Church in 1829. However, when he struggled with the serious crisis of faith that resulted in his resignation from the ministry in 1832, Mary became exasperated with him, calling his faith a withering Lucifer doctrine of pantheism. <laughs> she wrote to her younger brother Charles, Waldo is lost in the halo of his own imagination. It is time he should leave me. Uh-oh. <laughs> He's in trouble with his aunt. <laughs> My God, did I have an aunt like that? <laughs> did I have a number of aunts? <laughs> hmm. She eventually forgave her nephew for his religious transgressions, admitting that she respected the, quote, the fidelity of his conscience, which impelled her decision to leave the church, impelled his decision to leave the church. She professed that every sacrifice to truth and one's convictions would be amply rewarded. After that, after all, it was she who taught the young Waldo to resist conformity and take risk, and she who had advised him that sublimity of character must come from sublimity of motive. Allowing finally that Ralph Waldo Emerson's heresy did not signify his assumed damnation, Mary Emerson hoped that her nephew had found his own angel who could best reunite him with to the infinite.
Writing, Mary, well, Mary Moody Emerson wrote thousands of letters and journal entries, and she authored an essay on the <coughs> quote, importance of imagination in religious life, published in the monthly anthology, a journal her brother William edited. In a sentiment that anticipated an important Emerson concern, she claimed that she always interspersed daily physical labors of, quote, the needle, the flat iron, the portrait pot, with intellectual labors of ardent book and pen. The New England locales where she wrote changed to Boston, Concord, Waltham, Waterford, Hartford, Newburyport, Ashfield, Belfast, among other places, but she always found time. As her nephew Waldo stated, quote, to write, write, night and day, year after year. She's a writing machine, dear. <coughs> Mary Emerson filled her diary, her almanac, with everything from detailed accounts of the quote, quotation to complex political, philosophical, and religious issues in a style that Ralph Waldo Emerson considered, quote, frolicsome, unquote, but that some found and continue to find sometimes difficult and obtuse. Nancy Craig Simmons, the editor of Mary Emerson's Selected Letters, called her style. We should read her Selected Letters. Let me write this down. Nancy Craig Simmons. <laughs> You would think if you're a feminist and you want to prove uh, that the women are the source of all knowledge, uh, that you would want to have Mary Emerson's letters, uh, selected letters. Remember we read. read the book from. Uh, remember we read. Emerson, uh, they said it's his best book, the one he wrote about his the Selected Letters. Uh, remember we read Selected Letters of uh, Emily Dickinson? Uh -huh. Now we have the Selected Letters of Mary Emerson called her style Baroque and complained that its exuberance often preclude clarity. Do you think she was too exuberant to be clear? Her almanac at least could be excused for its opacity because of its original intention as private discourse. You see, that's the thing, if you're writing to yourself, you can't be like throw, like you write in your journal basically to yourself why it, people don't have the right to complain that it lacks clarity because you were writing to yourself. It was an intensely personal prayer, Mary Emerson stated, from her soul to its author. When her nephew, Aldo, was slow to return some of her notebooks while asking for her to send more, she wrote to him, quote, Catch me soberly. I will not till you return the others. They are my home, the only images of having existed. <laughs> Although she claimed that her almanac was an intimate conversation with her chamber, a letter to herself, when unable to think in a portion of the history of a soul, she nevertheless allowed her nephew Waldo and certain other relatives liberal access to her notebooks. 
Out of all the Emersons who perused Mary's notebooks, Waldo would become the most enthralled by them. Emerson's own journals, which he began as a teenager upon her urging, were filled with transcriptions of her aunt's writing, and he later copied many hundreds of excerpts from her diary entries, letters, and remembered conversation into four carefully paginated and indexed notebooks totaling almost 900 pages. After a day spent reading and copying his aunt's writing, Emerson claimed that all the education and learning in the world would never enable a person, quote, to anticipate one thought or expression, unquote, of hers. Her style and ideas were that, quote, new, subtle, frolicsome, and unpredictable. <laughs> Is this fun reading? Goodness, I could stop here and rest a little. I need to rest in this ants writing. Mm -hmm. How about if I rest? Mm -hmm. This is too demanding. She's too intellectual for me, so I have to rest. Mm -hmm.